Lost the weight upon my shoulder. Now it's easier to walk. I can see the road before me. I am not afraid to fall. All right, welcome to the podcast today. We're super excited to have with us um, Mason Sawyer and Samuel. Josie, or is that your wife's name? <laughs> now that I'm saying nope, that, Samuel Josie. Yep. <laughs> okay. After I read that, I was like, oh wait, maybe his wife's name is Josie. Maybe and they, like, their emails together, combined. But, yeah. <laughs> with Samuel Josie, and they're part of the 1090 podcast, and we're excited to have them on. I think our podcast kind of started relatively the same time and had kind of a same theme of talking to people on how you know they react to things that happen in their life and transitions in their life. So asked them to be on and they so graciously said yes so thanks guys yeah we are i'm excited um yeah, it was great yeah sam's pulling a double header right here he's at work on the podcast but yeah <laughs> awesome impressive excited. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's awesome so yeah so we're excited we'll read their bios and kind of get into their stories so all right okay i'm gonna read mason's so mason sawyer was born and raised in west jordan utah where he excelled as a point guard and dedicated basketball player Mason's athletic accomplishments include Utah All-State, Regional Most Outstanding Player, All-Academic <laughs> Region Team. Yeah, I was really smart, okay? Get it right. I have yeah, to use that. I'm like losing my spot. Okay, should we? I'll start. Yeah, you're good. Okay, I'll start with that again. I'm totally joking. I'm totally joking. <laughs> oh, I know. I, okay. okay. An athlete and a scholar. You want to know that. Yes, it's important. Yes. It's my mom. It's mostly my mom, but you know. Oh, we're... she'll want to hear that. Yes. <laughs> For sure. Okay. All academic region team, a scholarship offer from Boise State. After winning a state championship his senior year of high school, he went on to play college basketball for Utah Tech, formerly Dixie State. Mason married his high school sweetheart, Courtney Atkinson. He went on to earn a college degree in psychology while Courtney earned her nursing degree. Upon graduation, Mason went on to teach psychology and was selected the varsity basketball head coach at his alma mater West Jordan High School. Mason and Courtney were the parents of three children, two sons, Riggins and Blue, and one daughter, Frankie. Mason was presented with a great opportunity to move to St. George, Utah with his family in the summer of 2021 to become a basketball skills trainer at Nets on Fire. Shortly after the move, his life was shattered as his family was involved in a fatal car accident that took the lives of his brother, Ray Sawyer, his nephew, Ryder Sawyer, his wife, Courtney, his son, Riggins, and his daughter, Frankie. The accident occurred on July 25th, 2021. Mason has now become solely focused on raising his son, Blue, who survived the car accident. His mission is to help other people by living the 1090 principle. This principle of life being 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you respond has inspired him to start a podcast named The 1090. He has gone on to share his message as a public speaker. So That's... thanks for that. Yeah, thank I've you. seen yeah a lot of places that you've been a public speaker. That's really awesome. Yeah, we've been uh, we just started this thing like how long ago, Sam? Like seven, eight months ago, maybe. So that was before the podcast started. You started public. Yeah. Speaking. So the the actual the on the anniversary, the one year mark of the anniversary of the accident, I, I wanted to do something. So I did my first public speaking gig at Utah Tech. And then on that same day, Sam and I posted our first 1090 episode. So that's wow. like day one, 1090 started July 21st, 2022. 
So yeah, yeah, we so we haven't been doing it for very long, but we've been Sam. How many have we done? We've probably done at least a dozen, maybe more speaking engagements. Um, so we've yeah, been, they've been it's been good. They've been coming in pretty frequently lately. We've just never said no. We just do whatever, and we've had some fun experiences. We've talked to three hundred people, and we've talked to twelve people, and so and anywhere in between. So it's been yeah. talking's helped yeah. me a lot. So I just love talking about it. So. No, I think that's really cool. And I think that the whole premise of the 1090 is so cool. And I was telling um, Sam and Mason before we started that my husband's just kind of a natural stoic has really got into the stoicism part. And I feel like my entire marriage, it's something I didn't even relate it to stoicism. I just related it to my husband that he'd say, you can't help what happens to you or even how you feel, but you can react. You can control how you react to these things. And so we've taught our kids that over, you know, their lives and stuff. So I think it's a really cool principle and a cool idea for a podcast well, so just like yeah. if i can get a plug in on stoicism real quick um, <laughs> yeah like one of the four main pillars of stoicism is justice and i think a lot of people get this idea that justice is like what you see in the movies like there's a murderer on the loose and like you got to catch him and justice is served type of thing and that's definitely part of it but stoicism is probably another form of justice is you have information you have a skill you have value you have an experience and if you don't share that with other people that's injustice you're not doing what you should be doing if you have something to say and you're not saying it that's injustice at least in marcus aurelius's eyes or at least how i view it um and that's why i love your guys's podcast i you guys are both serious and and you care about what you guys are trying to achieve, that's justice. You guys have something to say, and you're not going to let your fear and what other people think stop you from doing that. So that's kind of how I see it. I went through a lot, and if I don't share that with other people, I'm really messing it up. I'm not doing what, I sh- what I'm supposed to be doing, I think. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really, really cool. right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it helps people you know, that have gone through similar things not feel alone and to feel probably inspired by you and what you're doing. So that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I also think, you know, like we had kind of talked about, it's kind of an, an unimaginable thing that you've been through, but for us people who, you know, we've had challenges, but not to the extent that you have, but then we can see you're still going on, like you're still living by this principle that you believe in. It's just very inspiring. And so I think that's the other reason probably why what you're doing resonates with a lot of people is it's kind of like, well, if he can do it, I can do it, you know? Well, I hope so. Yeah. Can, that, yeah. That, that's, that's well, thank really you for amazing. saying that. That means a lot. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, I'll read Sam's bio real okay. quick. Um, Samuel Josie was born and raised in West Jordan, Utah. Sam graduated from West Jordan High School in 2007. From there, Sam went on to complete his Bachelor's of Communications at Utah Tech University, formerly Dixie State. Sam's love for education continued to grow as he obtained a Master's of Education Administration from Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana. Sam currently works as the manager over the Student Government Department at Utah Valley University. Sam has a wife and two kids, twin girls, with one more, another girl, on the way. Sam met his wife, Kaylee, while down in St. George, Utah, attending school. Kaylee has a degree in accounting. Sam has a rare form of dwarfism called Ellis Van Creveld Syndrome. Is that right? I pronounce it. It naturally affects his bone growth and development as well as abnormalities to his fingers, born with six fingers on each hand, legs, and teeth. Sam stopped growing at the age of 17 and stands at 5'1". Being this short has created a number of challenges for Sam throughout his life. Things like dating, playing sports, working hard impact, jobs, writing, driving, and just everyday tasks prove to be more difficult given his circumstances. 
With over 17 surgeries on various bones in his body, Sam has had to learn to adapt to his situation, rise above the negativity, and find ways to succeed. Sam started this podcast with Mason Sawyer to help deliver a message to others who might be going through their own trials, whether that be a loss of a loved one, bullying, anxiety, or depression. Sam hopes to share his message and lessons learned by using the 1090 method, and which is life is 10% what happens to you and 90% what you make of it. So awesome. That's really cool. And we've had a lot of twins. Lindsay has twins. Yeah, I do. Really? And we oh, just nice. interviewed yeah. a girl that has twins. Yeah. So. How old are your twins? Um, they turned four in September. Oh, wow. I yeah. remember when someone saying when they're four, it starts to get easier. So I don't know if you, if you, if that's your experience, <laughs> I but I kind of felt so. that was true. Yes. <laughs> uh, they're so much easier now than they were when they were like oh. one and two. How old are your twins? Yes. They, they just turned eight. Eight. Okay. So that they're, yeah, they're, and it's so fun. They still yeah. play together. It's minor boy girls. So awesome. Yeah. A little different, but yes, I do feel like from four on because with twins, it's just, yeah, you're double everything. Those young years are just a lot. So. Yes. Yeah, but you're you're getting out of the the hardest time for sure, stage, for yeah. sure. which is good because you have another on the way. So right? I remember yeah. I uh, I went yeah. to see Kaylee in the hospital, Sam and Kaylee, after they had the their they just had their third baby. And oh, uh, okay, just had okay. Yeah, they Sorry. just had it, and so Kaylee's in the hospital bed holding their newborn, and I'm just looking at she just looks like she's on easy street. Like, she does not look like a new mother. I'm like, Kaylee. Yeah. Like, after twins, is this just a walk in the park for you? And she's like, yeah, kind of, sort of. It was like. I bet. I'm sure after twins, it's, it's easy. Yeah. yeah. That is Yeah, because twins weren't her first. You have two kids and yeah, then twins. Yeah, and then the twins. Yeah. Okay. I have heard if you're having twins, have them first. Yes. It was, yeah. You it's don't know the, the shock. Yeah. And Game then that's true. Then for sure. Having the next twins. one would be like, yeah, easy peasy, so. That's awesome. Well, yeah, maybe you could tell us um, how you two met then, because it sounds like, yeah, even four years ago, you were in each other's lives. So, well, it's funny. Where did that begin? We do our public speaking stuff, and Sam speaks first. And then to kind of like introduce me and tell each other how we met, I tell this story. Okay. But I want I want Sam to tell it, because I always tell it. I never hear his side of the story. So I want, I'm awesome. going to allow Sam. <laughs> to get some shots in here if you want. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah so, um, Mason was, he was on the basketball team and I, I was the manager of the basketball team. Um, and so I was with the team all the time, but and Mason was, I think you were a fresh, no, you were a sophomore. I think sophomore. Because I was at the high school, so I think it was a sophomore. Yeah, so sophomore. And I don't know if you are familiar with, with high school basketball game, but the team, they play sophomore first, then JV, then varsity, and the team that goes on next comes out like in the fourth quarter, and they wait kind of on the sideline for the game to end, for them to go and warm up. So sophomore game ends, then JV players go out and warm up. So Mason, he's playing JV at this point, and he's just dribbling the ball, waiting for the sophomore game to end for him to be able to go out and start warming up for his game. And I never talked to him before, but I was familiar who he was because I have helped him manager wise on the team, but like hadn't really ever spoke to him. And I noticed this girl in the stand and I thought she was really cute. And so I was like, I, I didn't know who she was. Didn't know anything about her. Never spoke to her. Just thought she was good looking. And I knew first, I assumed that he would know who she was. I don't know why I just, I don't know. I'd never seen her. Maybe he'd seen her and he was the only one standing right there. So I go up to him and I said, like, Hey, do you know this girl? 
Um, I think someone else had told me her name was Courtney. And I was like, do you know this girl named Courtney Atkinson? And he's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. And I kind of pointed to her. He's like, yeah, her her sister's dating one of his, one of Mason's. Mason said, he, she, his sister, her sister dating one of my good friends. So I was like, oh, well, I think she's super hot. Would you mind, like, putting in a good word for me? And he's like, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I definitely will. And then... Long story short, he did not put in a good word for me, put in a good word for himself, and and the rest is history from there. Oh, nice. Yeah, I ended up marrying oh, nice. that girl. Yeah, so yeah, that, and awesome. that ended up being his so wife, cute. and and it was, yeah. I mean, it worked out great. I mean, that from like that was literally the start of our friendship. Like, I think like from that day on, like we, I remember after the game, we like were plotting a little bit, like how can we, how can we do this here? We went to dinner that night. We met up the next day. And like that was just the start of our. Well, our I remember. Uh, we remember it was. Uh, I forget what year, but I think the Utah Jazz were playing the Golden State Warriors when they had Baron Davis and those guys, Sam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And remember, me and you were scheming, and I would I would make bad bets with Courtney on purpose to lose so that I could take her out to lunch the next day. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we were. Oh, yeah, nice. we were just just buddies since high school. Just good good friends. So. Yeah. That's really cool. And then you were at Utah Tech at the same time yeah. as well? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yep. And way I had moved, he, him and Courtney were down there, got married and moved down there. And then I moved down there and met my wife. We got married after like a year and a half of dating. And then we ended up staying down there for, I think you guys moved back like a year before we moved back. Um, but have maintained friendship for the, throughout the whole thing. It's been fun. No, yeah, that's I, really uh, awesome. I was thinking like who... I want to do a podcast, but I got to do it with someone. And my mind immediately went to Sam Josie because I've always looked up to Sam since I was in high school. And just the way, like, Sam has a quote he likes by John Wooden that says, never whine, never complain, never make excuses. And that's like, I've never heard Sam complain about his dwarfism ever. Like, not even, like, when we're alone. Like, never complains about it. Even when stuff doesn't go good for him in his life like he loses the girl he loses the job or whatever he never goes down the road of it's because i'm short it's because i have he just doesn't play that card and so when i when i went through my traumatic event with my family that was like a mindset that i wanted to adopt kind of that stoic mindset of what happened is terrible we can't change it what are you going to do about it are you going to complain about it the rest of your life or are you going to try to make something good happen out of it yeah yeah, that's really cool. It's cool yeah. to have friends like that. Yeah, same. that's yeah. easy. Oh, yeah. Would you guys rather do it in the order that you normally do? No, no, that's fine. I was just, uh, I've never heard Sam's side of the I wanted to hear his story. perspective. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. I just I, was, yeah. He makes me sound a little bit more of a bad guy in his version, so it's fine. It's, <laughs> you were still in his girl. Yeah, yeah. he swooped yeah. in. Yeah. 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 No, we're fine. We're good. I remember okay. I would tell that. He used to have me come guest speak at his class in high school, and I'd always tell his students that story, and they would just give him Ask them about, about why would you yeah. do that to your friend? It was, it was funny. Yeah, that's really that's cute. Awesome. So, did you and Courtney start dating at that point in high school, and then yeah, so just Courtney and I dating all that time. Yeah, so Courtney and I we were high school sweethearts. We won the award um, in high school, most likely to marry your high school sweetheart. So we, yeah, uh, we oh, cute. And it's funny because I loved basketball growing up, and I was committed to basketball. I wanted to go play college basketball, so my mindset was stay away from girls. They're they're just a distraction. <laughs> And then I get to high school and I hang out, I hang out with Courtney one time. And I'm like, this, I like this girl. And we just never stopped hanging out, I guess. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's awesome. And then you met your wife in St. George, Sam? Yep. Her and I, um, I was her, this is probably illegal. I was her boss at uh, Pizza Factory. (laughs) Um, I was her, uh, what's it called? Apartment manager where she lived. Oh. Uh, We went to the same church. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like I stalked her. You're just like, yeah, uh, yeah. Went to Utah Tech, and so we were just always running into each other all the time. So we dated awesome. for probably about a year and a half before we got married. Oh, nice, cool. And she's from St. George originally. She's from Pleasant Grove, or I guess oh, Linden. Oh, okay. A lot of people don't know where mm-hmm. Linden is, so I always yeah. say Pleasant yeah. Grove. Yeah. Um, and so she moved down there. Uh, just right out of high school, and then she's yeah, and then we moved from we moved down to Dixie or I guess St. George, and then stayed there for. I think we were there like from the time we moved down and got married and stayed. I think we'd been there like four or five years, um, and then we moved to Indiana uh, for school, and then moved back, got a job at Utah State in Logan, and then from there when we had the twins, it was just uh, hard. Like we didn't have any really friends or family in Logan, so we're like we got to get by this is hard. I go to work. You're here alone yeah, all twins, day with the hard. twins. Yeah. This is not good. So we wanted to get closer up here to family and friends. So ended up, ended up here at UVU. Nice. That's cool. I actually went to, well, when it was UVSC. I right. You. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a little older before it became Utah Valley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's nice that you ended up there and now you both live close. So yeah, Mason, maybe you could tell us about, um, how you and Courtney ended up because you were down in St. George for a little while too. Right. And then came back. So Courtney, she got to the nursing program at Dixie state, which was awesome. Cause it has a really good nursing program. And then I played basketball there. And then once, and while I was playing basketball at Dixie state, we had our first kid Riggins. So my senior year of basketball, Courtney was working graveyards. I was on the basketball team and we had this kid. And so I had to stay <laughs> up with Riggins all night, which I love looking back on it now. And then Courtney would come home from the graveyard, and then I'd go to early morning weights. It was rough. It was rough, but it was a fun moment um, to be in. Uh, So we had Riggins, and then when I graduated, my old uh, coach Briggs, my old high school basketball coach, he said, Mason, you just got a bachelor's degree in psychology, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, our psychology teacher just left, so why don't you apply for the teaching job, be on my coaching staff, and you can help me coach. And it sounded perfect because I was talking to Courtney, like, what am I going to do when I graduate? I'm like, I want to coach basketball, but I also want to work with teenagers because my dad, my dad is a therapist working with teenagers his whole life. And I I kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps. I like that job. So when, when coach Briggs told me that, I'm like, oh, it's perfect. I can coach basketball and I can still impact teenagers lives. Like it's going to be perfect. So, uh, we moved back to West Jordan Courtney got a, um, Courtney was the best because she, with that nursing degree, she was such a good nurse and everyone loved her. She could just get a job whenever, wherever. So she was like my sugar mama. But, uh, (laughs) so we moved back to West Jordan. I'm coaching, teaching. She's a nurse. We have two more kids. So we have Blue and then we have Frankie. And Coach Briggs takes a different job. And then I become the head coach at West Jordan High School for three years and then um, I just got a really cool job offer from St. George, this place called Nets on Fire, big basketball complex. And they 
they basically called me with my dream job. Like, we want you to be a skills trainer over here at our gym. We want you to put AAU basketball teams together and travel and coach. And we'll pay you this much. I mean, it wasn't a ton of money, but to a high school teacher salary, it was. <laughs> it was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, and so I, I tell Courtney, and she's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, and we always wanted to go back to St. George because we just love living there. And we're like, man, this is perfect. So we decided to move back to St. George. Um, and I started that new job, which I loved. It was my dream job. And Courtney found Courtney found this traveling nurse job where she could she travels to, to people's houses. And, and she loved that. And, yeah, that. so we moved back to St. George. Um, and then the accident happened. But mm. yeah, that's kind of how I was in St. George at the time. Okay. Yeah. And how long had you been living down there? Um, so we moved back and we're probably three months, maybe not even that, like two and a half, three months, somewhere in that range. We're back in St. George. And before I even, before Nets on Fire ever called me, Courtney planned a Cabo trip to go to Cabo with her sister, Casey, and um, my brother-in-law, Tolman, who used to be, uh, I served an LDS mission and me and Tolman were companions. So anyway, just a little side note there. Um, but we're, we're, uh, on this trip in Cabo right after I take the nets on fire job and I felt bad. I'm like, I just take this job and then I leave, but we go to Cabo and while I'm in Cabo, uh, my, my buddy, Wayne, Wayne Ott, who works at nuts on fire, he dies. He tragically passed. He drowns in the ocean on a family vacation. And so me and uh, my wife, Courtney, are in Cabo. And Wayne just passes away. And Courtney and I, every every husband and wife, I'm sure you guys can relate to this. Every husband and wife kind of talks about it a little bit. Like, what would you do if I died? Like, And it's always kind of half kidding. Like, you better never remarry or you better, like, I don't know. You kind of, right. it is what it is. But we actually... Wayne's passing, it, for some reason, I, Courtney and I, we had like a two-hour discussion about what would we do if one of us died. Um, and it was a beautiful conversation. And about a week later is when the accident happened with our family. Um, oh, wow. That's one of those weird moments where you're extremely grateful for it, a little weirded out by it. Um, but I'm really grateful that we had that serious little powwow. And, um, yeah, that, that's a conversation I'll cherish. For I mean, we didn't talk about, hey, two of our kids are also going to die and a sibling and a nephew. We didn't. Right. That wasn't part of it. So, like, that, you know, no one can really prepare for that. But um, so then we get I get back from Cabo, and the next weekend – is my family's family reunion at Bear Lake. So I'm like, Court, like I just took this new job, and which was like a sought-after job. Like a lot of people are going out. So I have to, I, I feel a lot of pressure. I, just, I can't leave again. I just took this new job. We just went to Cabo. I can't go to the family reunion. I got to stay and, and work this weekend. And Courtney's like, oh, yeah, for sure. So we weren't going to go. And then that Friday... Courtney's like, hey, it's 108 degrees outside because it's St. George, Utah. St. George, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, you're going to be coaching all weekend. I'm going to take the kids, and we'll just go to Bear Lake. It'll be fun. I know it's a long drive, but it'll be it'll be fun. I'm like, yeah, sounds great. 
And my brother Race and his family also live in St. George. And Race and his youngest son Ryder can go on the family reunion trip, but not his wife Keisha and their two other kids, Faith and Ran. They can't go. So it works out. So Race and, and Courtney are like, hey, let's just ride up together with the kids and we'll ride back. We'll just carpool. So they're like, all right, cool. Um, so that's why they're in the car together, which is important to note because I think when the doctor called me about the news, he was really, it took him a long time to tell me because I think he thought it was originally one family. And then he's figuring out like, oh, this is actually two separate families in the same um, car. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I finished working at Nets on Fire and then that Sunday uh, they drive back home from the family reunion. And Courtney and Race stop at her parents' house to say hi real quick um, since they're in town. Uh, and then they drive home. And uh, when they're in Fillmore, Fillmore, Utah, in between Salt Lake and Southern Utah, a big... And, and I'm, I've kind of reached a point in my mind where my family died instantly. And that's kind of how I like to keep it right now. So I don't know all the details of what happened. But what I do know is just a crazy dust storm, like a big wall of blackness just kind of engulfs the the road and it causes a terrible 22 car pileup um, and eight people died. And out of those eight people, five of them are from our family. So my wife, Courtney, my son, Riggins, my daughter, Frankie, my brother, Race, and my nephew, Ryder. Um, so when the doctor calls me, I'm just I'm literally just waiting in my room at home, and when the doctor calls me, um, he he's he says, you know, I'm Doctor So and So. There's been a terrible car accident. Are you the owner of a Buick? And I'm just I'm just like okay. And before he called me, my sister-in-law Keisha so my brother Race's wife she texts me it's like Mason I'm worried Race won't text me back Courtney won't text me back I think something's off and I'm like I'm sure it's just traffic or they're just a little late they'll be here so when I got this call from the doctor I'm like oh this isn't good so for whatever reason I thought I pictured Race and Courtney in a hospital bed the kids are there and we need to go me and Keisha need to get over there that's why they're not answering the phone. Um, so before the doctor even tells me any of the specifics, I put my phone on speaker and I text Keisha. I'm like, hey, come pick me up. I think there's been an accident. we, we got to go to Fillmore or whatever. I, I don't really remember what I told Keisha, but I just said, come pick me up. There's been an accident. And so then I get back to the, to the phone call and the uh, doctor says, there's been a terrible accident. There's one survivor. Oh. And I just fall to the ground um confused and i think i asked him at one point like you're kidding like this is a joke and he's like i wish i was kidding and i'm so i'm just kind of i'm going through de denial and then anger and then just denial confusion bargaining i went through a lot of bargaining just going through all these emotions and and i still am and that's something I try to tell people in our public speaking things is like, listen, this is not like a comeback story. If you're looking for a guy that's overcome this, you got the wrong guy. I'm hurting really bad and 
And I don't have a whole lot of advice for you other than you can't give up. You got to keep going. Um, so he, uh, I'm just going through all these emotions and I pick up the phone and, and he said, the survivor's a three-year-old. And so I fall back down again. And so that means, uh, my wife's dead. Uh, my brother's dead. My nephew's dead and Riggins is dead. So I'm dealing with that. And then, um, I'm a little confused and because it could be Frankie, my daughter, or it could be Blue. They're both close to three, and I'm so confused. And I don't, I don't know who I want it to be. I don't know who it is. I don't know. And uh, for some reason, I think it's Frankie. And I tell him, as he's describing the child, I'm like, oh, that's, uh, that has to be my daughter, Frankie. And he said, no, this is not a girl. This is a boy. He has blonde hair, blue eyes. And so then I'm like, oh, that's got to be my son, Blue, because Blue has blonde hair, blue eyes. And I, the shift of, um, oh, Blue's actually alive, maybe, was so incredible. And then it was immediately followed up by, that means Frankie's now gone. And that, um, there's just no getting over that stuff. I mean, the pain, and I just never understood trauma before. I just never got it. But it's not something you ever get over. It's not something like, hey, you go to therapy, you take this medication, you have a positive attitude, and then you've graduated from trauma. Like, you're good now. This is the rest of my life. It's the rest of my life. And honestly, a lot of people message me like, hey, my wife just left me. My kid just died. What do I do? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. I don't, like, don't, I don't have a whole lot of advice for you. If, if yeah. you want to take swimming lessons, take it from the guy who's swimming. I'm drowning. I'm drowning. If you if you need help how to how to drown and not drown, I'm your guy. I'll show you how to keep your head above water. But I don't really know what direction to move in or how to swim very good yet. I'm just trying to stick around for my son and try to help people. And that's one thing I've learned about trauma. Like th- this is this is the rest of my life. That day a lot of people yeah. died and and I died too and I was reborn into this. I'm sorry, I just feel like I talked for like 20 straight minutes, but this is my therapy no. session. So you signed oh, up. No. Perfect. No, that was perfect. And we wanted to hear the story. And yeah, we feel, I think, honored that you yeah, share, we share with, it with us. us. Yeah. Well, what else are you going to do? I mean, and people, people say like, you're so courageous. I'm like, well, if you knew, like, no, not like I don't have a lot of options. If I don't talk about it, I'm probably just going to kill myself or be miserable the rest of my life. So I really, right. I, I don't think it's courageous at all. I think it's my only option, kind of. Like, I got dealt a really shitty hand, and I'm trying to yeah. figure out the best way to play it. I don't think I'm going to win the hand, but I've got to try to make the most of it and stay in the game. Yeah, I right. think it's hard. Um, I've been through something super hard before, and I feel like when people say, I don't know how you're getting through it, or I, how, how are you doing this, or I couldn't do this without this or that. I'm like, what's my choice? Yeah, <laughs> my really. choice is to give up and die or to like fight through it and to get through it. And it's kind of, I saw this huge sign. We went to on a trip and it was like on this building and it said the only way is through. And it was just so important to me in that moment where I was like, that's it. That's the only way I can get it. Like handle it is to go through it and to like, keep going, keep going forward. Um, you know, no matter what it is or how hard it is, and yeah, I was just going to say, it made me think yesterday, I was listening to this podcast that talked about 
the body keeps the score are you familiar with with that book yeah i am i i haven't read it trauma yeah i've heard yeah but it just what you were saying is like it will never leave you like unfortunately these traumatic events i can't relate i mean it's you've gone through so much more than i have you know ever close to gone through but you know it makes total sense what you were saying that you can't just expect to totally it's always going to be back but what you can learn is these coping skills and just these mindsets like you're going to teach us today about how you are you know getting through like Chantil said like the only way you know to keep going so anyway I just think, made me think of that yeah when you uh when you said that I thought of the Robert Frost quote the only way out is through and mm-hmm. everyone agrees that that's a wonderful quote but the weird thing to me is not a lot of people know who Robert Frost is so and th- and I use Robert Frost as an example in our speaking engagements. I talk about him all the time. But Robert Frost, real quick, Robert Frost lost his father when he was 11. Mother died of cancer when he was in his late 20s. His sister had to be committed to a mental hospital where she died 9 years later. Robert Frost and his wife Eleanor had 6 children. Their son Elliot died of cholera. Their daughter Carol committed suicide. Daughter Marge died from a fever. Their daughter Eleanor only lived for 3 days after her birth. Yeah. Well, so so knew, now when you really read met. that yeah, when you read that Robert Frost quote now, now you it hits home a little bit longer. That guy went through hell and what did one of the best writers ever, what did he have to write down? The only way out is through. And another Robert mm-hmm. Frost quote that I love is um life goes on. He says, after everything I've been through, I can sum up life in three words. It goes on. And it does. Yeah. And me and Sam, yeah. we use, we, we kind of, it didn't really actually happen, but we use this as an example. Like my family died in a car accident and then next day the electric bill came. Life doesn't care. It's brutal and you got to figure out yeah. a way to keep going. Yeah. I remember uh, my son was really sick as a baby, my very first son. And he, he had a couple really scary moments where we thought he was going to die. And he was in the hospital for like two months. And I remember that feeling of like, um, I am in the hospital and I'm here and everybody else's life is going on, but I'm like, wait, but so is mine. Like whether he lives or doesn't live, whether he gets better, or has like lasting effects. Like I was jealous of this life that they could leave the hospital after visiting me and go get ice cream. And I, you know, and for them, I'm like, oh, their life is going on. But I'm like, wait, mine is. And the only way to go through it is to go through it and to keep going and to almost like have the what did Karen say in her video the radical acceptance of this is happening yeah even though it's something you would never also our therapist Brandy came on and also talked about radical acceptance she's like it's something that you would normally never accept in your life you'd be like no this isn't happening but radical acceptance is just accepting that it is happening and you have to have to accept it you know so one thing I've learned is acceptance that's not a one-time thing it's not like I accepted it. Mm. Acceptance is a day-to-day thing. At least it is for me. I have days where I wake yeah. up and I don't accept it. And I run away from the pain and it's not a good day for me. Some day, the days I wake up, I'm like, okay, this is reality. I'm going to accept it. What can I do today that's positive? How can I help other people? What can I do for my son, Blue? That's the mindset you have to have. But it, it's... Accepting it's just like I said with trauma. You don't graduate trauma. There's no hey, you're good now. That ne- that's never gonna happen. It just isn't. Yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I yeah. um when you're talking about you said the word anguish and I learned what that word meant recently. And I read a book by Brene Brown, um, that she 
wrote and she gave the definition of anguish and I felt like it was such a good example. It said anguish is an almost unbearable and traumatic swirl of shock, incredulity, I can't say that word very good, grief and powerlessness. Anguish not only takes away our ability to breathe, feel and think, it comes for our bones. Anguish often causes us to physically crumble in on ourselves, literally bringing us to our knees or forcing us all the way to the ground. The element of powerlessness is what makes anguish traumatic. What we are not able to change, reverse, or negotiate what has happened in those situations where we can temporarily reroute anguish with its to-do list and tasks, it finds its way back to us. Mm. I feel like that was exactly what you're describing, you know, the falling to the knees and the kind of the back and forth, like this can't be true. This is not real. This, and it's just so hard for your body and your mind to accept something. And then I would be so hard, like you said, to think that one child had lived and to feel so good about that. And then to almost lose the child twice because then you realize your other one had lived like that. The mixed emotions of that. It was, it was like an incredible feeling followed up by the exact opposite form of that feeling. And it was just, yeah, the extremes of really just, I didn't. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And it's like your brain and your emotions, like they just couldn't. Yeah. It was not, it wasn't keeping up with each other. You can only imagine how that would be in that moment. I just, you know, and then my wife, like we have, that's just one of them. There's four other people. Yeah. yeah. One right. of them, one of them, one of them's your wife. Like, like how do you, yeah. where do I go? Like if you, usually you lose a kid, you go to your husband or your wife. Yeah. And I just, like, well, I didn't, what do I do? I just went to my son. Yeah. Um, if, if I put a positive spin on it, I did some bad. I mean, I, I just had to do anything to numb the pain. So drugs, alcohol, whatever, like, because I wanted to die, but I couldn't because of blue. I could never kill myself for blue. Um, so I just had to find reasons to stay alive. And But I'm like, I can't stay alive with this pain. So instead of an, embracing the Robert Frost mindset of the only way out is through, I was just running from it. And not that my life's ever going to be like it was, but when you run from it, when you're running from something, that's the worst part of life that's the worst thing in life you can do i think even when you mess up if you mess up at least face the music like don't mess up and run from it that's the worst feeling right yeah well but it's totally understandable i mean i still can't comprehend you know what you've been through so it's totally yeah yeah i think most people can understand the wanting to run from it or numb yourself from it yeah i'm not i run from it all the time don't let me sit here and act like i'm a buffalo and i head into the storm all the time i don't a lot of the times and then i have a lot of guilt and shame about that like mason stop having a podcast to tell people to run into the storm when you don't run into the storm so i have that going on too like so yeah i got a lot of problems (laughs) Right. <laughs> well but what you're doing is amazing and and you are like even though you don't feel it and you feel that shame us like you are you are inspiring doing something, doing something. Yeah, yeah and i are. think it's important like you said that you haven't graduated from this pain and you haven't figured it all out but it's a daily thing every day you wake up yeah. and decide okay am i getting out of bed today and how am i how am i going to be today and so it is heart I mean it's every yeah. day but that also is inspiring that every day you know you face it and some days are probably not the best or the greatest but will you I know I, I saw on your um, podcast on what um, about the buffalo will you explain that um, idea to us yeah um, so my dad he went to I mean imagine my dad um, he lost son mm. sister I mean daughter-in-law 
I mean, he loved Courtney like a daughter. And then three grandkids. So my dad, he goes to this, uh, I'm not even sure what you call it, but it's like a online group dealing with trauma, how to navigate trauma, basically. And my dad asked me, he's like, you want to do it with me? I'm like, yeah. And then like the deadline came like, dad, I can't focus. I can't do it yet. I can't focus for, I can't do it. He's like, all right. And so my dad took the class and he, and one day he sent me this metaphor that he learned from his class. So I'm not exactly sure where it came from, where it comes from, but it's a beautiful metaphor and one that I've embraced. I got a, I mean, I got a big Buffalo tattoo on my right calf. Like I'm all in with the Buffalo. <laughs> I love, love it. it. But essentially awesome. the metaphor is Buffalo and cows, they both have this ability to sense when a storm's coming and cows, when they sense when a storm's coming, they they're like me with the drugs and alcohol. They just take off running away. They're scared, and so they just run away from it. Um, and what happens is the storm always catches up to them, just like in life. You run away from your problems, it's always going to catch up to you. And so the storm catches the cows, and the cows are exhausted. They've been running. But the cows, they, they don't even stop running. If you just stop running, let the storm pass, you're good. But... They run with the storm, and they're running slower and slower, and they stay in this pain and misery way longer than they have to. But, you know, running from the pain, is that's just one part of the metaphor. One of my favorite parts of the metaphor is what the storm gives you. So the buffalo, they, total opposite. They sense a storm's coming, they head right at it. They charge into the storm. And the pain is much less than it than it needs to be and it and takes way less time because they charge out of the storm passes them but what i've learned embracing this metaphor of not running from your problems not running with excuses and just acceptance and accepting things and then facing your problems head on one thing i've learned about having that buffalo mindset is you get the gift of trauma because trauma is a gift, and it's a really shitty one. It's like the one your aunt gives you, like it's a calendar. You didn't even want it. It's a shitty gift. <laughs> yeah. It's still a gift. Ugly pajamas or something. Yeah, yeah. You guys know where I'm at. That's how it is. There are gifts of trauma. It, there, it, there's, and if you run from it, you're never gonna get those. You're never gonna get the good parts of it. You're not gonna be able to help other people. You're not gonna be able to connect with other people. You're not gonna work on self improvement if you're just running from it. So you got to head into the storm. And this is the last thing I'll say about the metaphor. A buffalo mindset is the correct mindset to have every time, but that does not guarantee success. You could head into the storm and it could still go bad. It could, and that's why it's so scary. It doesn't mean, doesn't guarantee you anything, but I guarantee you if you don't go into the storm, it's going to catch up to you anyway. It's going to be way worse than it yeah. does. So you might as well get it over with now yeah. and head into it. Yeah, looks like I need to book my tattoo appointment. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. I love it. Totally. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. That's really, yeah, that's awesome. That's really good. And I feel like when I learned from other people on how to, you know, deal with my own trauma or my own things, it's only from people that have gone through something. Yeah. Trauma, like you said, it's the only way. If you can look at trauma as something good, that is the good, is that you can empathize with others you can help others yeah sam talks about that all the time like it's 
because there, there, I don't remember who said it, but there's a quote I read once that says, experience isn't something you gain until right after you need it. And Sam, Sam talks about that a lot. Like, it's crappy that it takes something like this to give you this mindset. Um, yeah. And that's just a weird thing in life. Like, how else do you really get it without adversity? I'm not really sure how you do it. I don't know how you get that mindset. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks yeah, for sharing Thanks for that. sharing. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. So I wonder if we should kind of shift and have Tam- Sam tell us his story a little bit more and then kind of come back to how you guys came together after uh, Mason's accident and yeah, and then how you, it brought brought us to where you guys are now. So Perfect. Yeah. So some of your background, um, I mean, obviously it's interesting because your guys' transitions are so different. Um, you know, Sam this rare medical condition that you've been living with your whole life. And I'm sure it's been a little bit more of an internal transition for you, you know, maybe where you've learned acceptance, but again, similarities, you know, so yeah, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this. Yeah. So my, so my older brother has, so I have two older brothers and um, two younger brothers. Um, My youngest brother passed away. Um, He had dwarfism. I have my younger brothers, so both younger brothers have dwarfism. I have dwarfism. One of my oldest brothers, one of my older brothers has dwarfism. And then my oldest brother is like six feet tall, and he does not have it. Um, So when my older brother that does was born, he wasn't really sick or anything. So they they knew something like, hey, he has six fingers. He has six toes. what's, What's going on? So they kind of pieced it together, but he was essentially perfectly healthy aside from... Hey, he has dwarfism. Um, and so they told my parents, like, hey, this is like a one in four thing for people who carry this. So, like, you're, you got your one out of the way. You're good. And then my parents' next four kids all had it. Um, but when I was born, I there was a lot of medical issues for whatever reason with me. Um, I wasn't breathing very well. I had a, was born with, like, the hole in my heart um, that is common in this particular dwarfism. Um and then, like, lungs weren't developing super good. So I was in the hospital for, like, three three months. And it was just all negative, like, right out of the gate. Like, hey, he's not going to make it through the night. He's not going to make it through the week, the day, the months. Hey, if he gets out of here ever, he's going to be on oxygen his whole life. Um, so just, I mean, as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate, like, my parents, what they went through having to go to the hospital. Because they had to go to appointments every day and get checked. And just every day it was just bad news, like... Hey, he seems good today, but don't expect him to live through the week. Like things like oh. that. That's just for years. And then um, I I went home from the hospital after about three months of being in there. And then I was home for like three days and then had to go back for another month. Um, just for whatever, just I wasn't as well as they thought I was. And so um, lots of hospital visits out of the gate. I had six fingers. Um, when I was born, you can kind of see, like, I don't know if you can see, like, that scar right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they said, I mean, and then it was just, after they kind of conceded, like, all right, you know what, maybe this guy is going to live. But if he does, he's going to have oxygen his whole life. He's not going to be able to do, you know, he's not going to be able to play sports. He's not going to have social life. He's not going to be able to date girls. He's not going to be able to have friends. Like, he's going to have a very sheltered, never-leave-the-house type of life. Um, and then I ended up being on oxygen till I was three, um, full time, hundred percent of the time on oxygen till I was three. Uh, 
there would just used to be a big, huge, like eight foot tall oxygen tank just parked in our family room. And I had like a 50 foot long uh, oxygen cord. So I could like walk around the house and go downstairs and it would just tape to my head at all times. Um, but then I got off oxygen when I was three. And then about that time, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm still pretty, I don't remember much about when I was three. I vaguely remember the oxygen. Um, but then as I'm getting older, I'm going into like elementary school, middle school. That's kind of when it really starts to like actually take effect on me. When I'm younger, I don't really care too much. Don't really notice or ask a ton of questions about my dwarfism. Um, but then like, as I'm noticing like, Hey, I can't do this. I can't do that. Like my legs hurt my, I can't bend some of my fingers certain ways, things like that, that like were more apparent, um, became harder to deal with the older I got. Um, the more friends I wanted to make, the more sports I wanted to play, the girls I wanted to date, the things I wanted to do. Um, I just couldn't do as well as like my friends. Like I really wanted to play basketball, but I simply like my leg, I've had like ankle surgery, foot surgery, hip surgery, knee surgeries, like every son, like my legs just physically would not allow me to run as fast as my friends. My legs were shorter by a significant amount than my friends. Like it was just things like that were harder for me to do than like the natural person. So things like that were super frustrating. Um, like things like driving a car, having to scoot the seat all the way up, but then being two inches from the steering wheel, so then I have to uh, like lean the seat, like tilt it all the way back, so then I'm right driving super uncomfortably. Um, random things that you like, you just don't even think of in a day. Like when you get in your car, you don't really think of like, oh, I'm gonna have to sit strangely in the car. Like you get in, you have the seat where you like it, and you get in, you put your seat on, you go. Um, and then as I mean, it just became super. I mean. It was girls don't, they don't want to date a short guy. They, you know, they don't want to date the short guy. I'm friends. I, I was friends with all the cool kids, all the cool, good looking kids in high school. So loved my friends. Very grateful, appreciative for my friends. Um, I mean, they, they're what made school like bearable, you know, any type of bullies or uh, people staring at me or making rude comments. I mean, my friends would jump in immediately to my defense and, and stick up for me. Um, and it's, I mean, without that, without the bonds I've had with my friends and still do a lot of them, um, it, you know, who knows what would have turned out for school. Cause like I'm very passionate against bullying now because it's just, I've experienced it firsthand and I see it, um, working at a university and just all through high school. And it's just like, I see it. I don't even view myself as like someone who's bullied now. And I see these other kids that are getting bullied and it just like, is so like, and I get to know them a little bit and I can just tell they don't have the support system that I had from my family to my friends to teachers. Like they just, they're not lucky enough to have that for whatever reason. And so I just picture how different my life could have been had I been born into a different family, had different friends, a different upbringing. Um, and it could have been a lot rougher. Um, but though I never really, I've never really been like a woe is me. I feel bad. I'm short. My mentality and it's not really a great one because me and Mason, we talk a lot about how like you shouldn't compare trauma. Like he and I experience very different things. I don't know what it's like to lose my family in a car accident. Mason doesn't know what it's like to have dwarfism, but we can appreciate each other's situations and help where we can. But I always just thought to myself, like, you know, 
it could always like someone has it worse than me. And so like, I mean, you picture when you think of the word dwarf, you think of like the really, really short misproportioned people. And like, that's not me. Like I'm, I'm a little misproportioned, but like I can walk, I can run, I can use my arms. I can, I have vision, my head's normal sized, like things like this that like don't typically go with dwarfism. So in my head, it's always been like, you know what? If I have to have a form of dwarfism, I am definitely glad that it's this is the form I've got because it could be a lot worse. Well, let me let me just um, jump in here. Sam, 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 Sam. <laughs> so like this is this is the truth about Sam. So I asked Sam, "Hey Sam, I want you to do this podcast with me." And I think Sam, Sam, literally, I've had to convince Sam that his like he's had it rough. <laughs> like I've had to convince him, like you can help people <laughs> with your stories. Like what are you talking about? I'm like. You've been through a lot. Like, Sam's mindset, like, he doesn't think he's been through anything. He doesn't think what he has is difficult. And I I feel bad almost. Like, should it, like, aren't you mad that, <laughs> I don't know. You're like, let me tell you. Yeah. yeah like, I just love, like, Sam Josie's mindset is so pure. It's just, like, he doesn't want any of that talk ever about why me, mm. poor me, he doesn't want any special treatment ever, unless we go to Disneyland and it's fast pass time. <laughs> they get, get me to the front the of the line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll take I'll take full advantage of the fast pass. For <laughs> yeah. Well, it yeah. sounds like you're a natural stoic. Sam is right. He actually That's is. What Sam I actually mocks. Yeah, he's stoicism. a natural. But I'll, I'm like trying to wrap my brain around the stoic. I mean, I think it's amazing, and I want to learn more about it. But yeah, I'd say Sam seems to be a natural. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, the, the Disneyland, there's not a lot of perks to be in short, so where I can find them, I'm definitely yeah. going to take advantage of them. Yeah, sure. take that. Yeah, what, um, what do you tell them when you get the pass? Or do they even ask? They just hand it to you? I I mean, I don't know if you could, you, know, you probably haven't noticed that my hands look like a little different, so I don't even really say why. I just, just put like, my hands hey. on the table yeah. as I'm talking, and like, I, I let them connect the dots. Yeah. So like, Sam, you're like Ricky Bobby when he keeps putting his hands up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like no one ever like they're not gonna say, "Hey, uh, you don't deserve this. You don't. Yeah. You, don't you don't pass. You don't, yeah, yeah, you don't qualify. You Connect just fine, and we we go on and enjoy our Disneyland. That's actually a huge perk. Like that would be amazing to be yeah. able to jump all those lines at Disneyland. Yeah, it's very nice. Uh, um, and. And so, I mean, that's kind of been, and, and I don't say that to like, like toot my own horn or boast, but it's like, there's just nothing you can do. Like I can't just go to bed tomorrow and decide to wake up six feet tall. And I accepted that at a really young age that there's just certain things you can control and certain things you can't. doesn't mean I don't get frustrated. And like a lot of the things that upset me about being short were super like trivial. Like the hardest thing I think of when I think about being short is I really wanted to be on the high school basketball team. <laughs> So I, I, I reference that a lot. All like mm-hmm. all yeah. my best friends were on the team, and I couldn't play with them. So it drove me nuts in high school. Things like that. But like I'm, you know, 15 years out of high school now, and I was the manager for the team. Have all the same memories as my friends because I hung out with them every day at practice, at the games, all that stuff. And a lot of the stuff that bugged me growing up, just it's not really applicable anymore. Um, I feel like I've had to work a lot harder at certain things to whether it's to prove people wrong because there's a lot of like misconceptions like instead of just saying like oh he's short so there's going to be physical limitations obviously for whatever reason people they assume like oh 
he must not be smart or he must not be able to work a job or he must not be able to uh, have normal conversations. And so things like that, like when I go into job interviews or when I'm meeting people or things like that, like you can just, and I don't know if, if, I mean, Mason's seen, I know several different times how people can kind of, they'll look at me and stare and they're just, you can tell their mind that. You walk out of a movie theater, you walk out of a jazz game and people just stare and it's weird because sometimes I totally forget because I've been friends with you for years and I kind of forget right. like, what you go through every day. And so when I see people stare at you, I'm like, oh, yeah, like Sam Shortly, like, that sucks for you, Sam. Like, that sucks. He's laughing at you. But yeah, Sam just doesn't let it get to him. Because if you let it get to you, then they win. So yeah. screw them. Yeah. Don't let them get. No, no not going to happen. Yeah. 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 There's there's just not really a, I don't know. So. I f- but I feel like that's worked to my advantage ultimately because I've had to develop certain skills to like show people like, hey, I have good communication skills. I have good people skills. I am able to work a job. So I use these different things when I'm in situations like job interviews. Like I may not be six feet tall like the last guy you interviewed, but I can talk and relate to people a lot better than he can. Let me sit down and explain to you why. Um, and I feel like had I not experienced like the dwarfism and the situation I had growing up, I would have a very different like personality view on life. I, if I was six feet tall and played high school ball and thought I was, I would probably be the most arrogant bastard that's ever <laughs> walked. I, I, yeah, I would think I was hot stuff. So it's, that's probably why. Yeah. I'm- yeah, that's funny that you say that because you hate athletes like that. Yeah, I do. Oh, I-, I do. And I would be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I think I think my upbringing experiences has been it's it's shade like I don't think I would be this way without going through all that and I'm very fortunate to be where I'm at and have what I do have and so I'm I'm I mean if I could pick to not be short I would love to have been born not short don't get me wrong there but all things considered like I I like my personality I like the friendships and and life that I have. And I think it would be very different had I not been born like this. Um, and so I think like the main things now, and it's just kind of everyday things that I go through of like just people staring, people super uneducated, make rude comments and can be super frustrating sometimes, but at the same time, I don't, you know, what do you, what do you do? I mean, I, I like to have some fun with them. Like if I can tell people staring up or staring at my hands, I'll start doing like designs. Like if I'm like talking or giving like a presentation, I can see people like, Oh, like following my hands. Then I'll start like moving. I'm like up and down on purpose and I can just see their their eyes eyes going all over. And then they realize what I'm doing. And then they immediately like, Oh crap. I've been caught staring at him. Now he knows. Sam, tell him the little Caesar, the the five buck pizza story in high school. Yeah. One night I, I used to go to Little Caesars and just ask them for free crazy bread. And they're like, why would we give you free crazy bread? I was like, I don't know. Look at my hands. And they'd look at my hands like, you know what? We're going to give you some free crazy bread. <laughs> they would. They'd give you free crazy bread. So we'd oh, get like, free yeah, crazy bread. Yeah, like you said, bread. any benefit, yeah. 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 Use it to, <laughs> to your advantage. To the your best advantage you a little bit. Yeah. That's so funny. And oh. so there's things like that that are like today stuff. But, us, mm-hmm. I mean – most people, they're adults, they're, you know, it's life. I'm at work like everyone else. I drive like everyone else. I'm, I'm living life just like everyone else. It's just there's some things that are a little more difficult. My wife has to get stuff off the top shelves for me. Um, 
And and funny, I mean, she's not very. I mean, what would you say, May? She's probably she's not extremely taller. She's like I'm five one. She's probably five three. Yeah, she's not. So she's not ex- extremely taller. Our our twins, one of them's like super tall, and the other one's gonna be like shorter. And it's it's funny because the one that is tall is exactly like me, and the one that's short and kind of stocky is like my wife, and so it's like the opposite. So <laughs> that's funny. I know, so it's super yeah. funny. We joke about that a lot. Um, yeah, and I say stocky. She's not stocky. She's just, it's funny that one of them's extremely <laughs> right. tall and skinny, and the other one is just a just a short ball yeah. of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that's kind of my, my experience in just dealing with, uh, you know, the negative connotations that come with, with dwarfism and having, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's involved. Like, I think I've had like 17 total surgeries. Mm. I've lost some hearing. I have to go in for like checkups regularly for like, not for like organs, for like my heart, my liver, my kidneys, things like that. Um, things like that people just don't typically have to think about in a day. Um, random things like that are, are things that still are like on my schedule and on my radar each day. But other than that, I feel like it, it's been it's been a, quite a, an interesting an interesting ride. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. My older son has a best friend that has, um, and I wish I remembered what the syndrome was, but he was born with like scoliosis and some. He had to get surgery on like a cleft palate and different things. And I think he experienced your same thing. I think people just assumed he wasn't smart, but he's actually one of the smartest kids I know. Like he's right super smart, but. It's amazing as humans how we just automatically judge or like assume things. But what I loved about um, is that he is so strong-willed, so smart, wanted to figure out how to do everything on his own, and was just such a good example to all of us on you know being independent. And he didn't want help. With, I remember going to the beach with him when he was little, and anytime he tried to help him, it was like, "No, I got it. Like I got this. Don't help me." You know, even though it was more difficult for him, he didn't. He wanted to figure out on his own, and I think. Um, it's just interesting the different ways that he taught people just by being that way, just being like, this is me. I accept me. I'm going to, you know, work hard and do it on my own. I mean, even to this day, he is in, um, a wheelchair and, but he, um, drives and he wants to, yeah, they got his parents, you know, helped him with a car to get where he wants to go. And right. he goes to college and he lives on his own. And when, when he could simply cool. be like, this is just too hard. I need to live at home. People have to yeah. take me everywhere. Um, he's even on a service mission for, you know, the church, um, uh, the LDS church. And, but I think that he, I'm, I'm imagining very similar people, you know, judging him, making fun of him, but yeah. he's such a, an example of resilience and that we can't care what people think and that we need to live our best life and, and whatever challenges we have use that for our advantage when it comes to like, being yeah resilient being strong being you know helping you be the person you are today like you're saying maybe I, you would be like an arrogant basketball player mm-hmm. athlete right. but because you're you know you're not that person you love the person you are today um that's really cool yeah, yeah and with the resilience i was just something that really stuck out to me in your story when you were telling about how as a teenager you know you kind of chose to compare yourself to like well i'm lucky that i it could be worse like it could be worse instead of constantly comparing yourself to the kids that were quote unquote normal to like, I mean, Mm -hmm. just you're, you know, just looking at them or whatever, just physically. 
but you know, you never really know what kind of struggles people might have mentally or things like that. So there's that to consider too, but I just am so impressed with you that you had the maturity at that age. Cause I do feel like the natural tendency for maybe I'm being stereotypical to teens, <laughs> but it's like, I'm going to compare myself to the one that does have it all, you know, in my for eyes, sure. it's just the for natural sure. and just us as humans as general, I, in general, I think that's what we tend to do, you know, but I just think that says a lot about you and your character that you, you know, it's so sad. I mean, like you said, there are a lot of people with dwarfism that could be much worse, but you kind of chose to have that mindset that I, you know, I could have it a lot worse, but I don't. And instead of flipping it around the other sure. way around. So no, anyway, thank you. I, I think that's a really awesome trait that you have. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It, it's, I don't, yeah. I remember like, it's just random things. Like I remember it was our first, mine and my wife's first night in Indiana. And when we moved there, I was, I'm a homebody. I don't like to leave the state of Utah, <laughs> let alone go to Indiana. Um, <laughs> And I'm, I'm walking, me and my wife, we went to go get ice cream that night at this place. And we're walking into the shop and a truck drove by and there was a bunch of kids in it. And they just like hollered out to him like, hey, you effing midget. Mm. And like, and then just kept driving. And like, I just felt like so embarrassed. That was probably like the first time, I mean, my wife's seen people stare and point and make comments. But like, that was the first time she'd ever probably actually seen it like that. And I like I was so embarrassed that like oh my gosh like this is so embarrassing that that happened in front of my wife, um, and so that's that's the type of stuff now that really irritates me. Yeah. Um, not so much embarrassing anymore. And her and I chatted, and she's like, "Look, I'm aware you're short. I married yet. <laughs> not like this is news to me. So like I know people are rude. Like I don't care." Well, my thought was, "It's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for, for those them. Kids. Yeah, I'm embarrassed yeah, for those I'm, kids. I'm embarrassed for them. Not for but right. I, from your perspective." I can totally understand what you're saying, but they're the ones that should be embarrassed, you know? Yeah. And, and like, we just, we would talk, it's like, there's just so many people that like, it, I don't know, it's just, it's been, it's opened my eyes a lot of just how unaware people are and like yeah. how on it. And it makes me just wonder like, what, like, why are people so rude? Like, why is everyone's first instinct to be just a jerk sometimes? Yeah. yeah. Um, and like, and I'm not free of that like I'm I'm sure I've teased people and I'm sure I've looked at people and thought like man that guy looks weird and then I probably <laughs> that person's probably looking at me thinking like man that guy looks weird <laughs> um but it's just it's it's really helped me have a better understanding and a little more sympathy for other people um yeah. but it, it's yeah I, I don't it's a, a blessing and a curse I guess I don't that's such yeah. a cliche thing to say, but and you may not be as um, passionate about like helping with bullying or being situation. You're there for people that do get bullied for different reasons, and you can right. relate to that and help people get through that, or help other kids realize the damage that is done when they do bully, when they think it's not a big deal, but actually it's really hurting people. Yeah, yeah. and it for is sure. so understand so hard for me to understand where that comes from for people. You know, like you're saying. I mean. Sometimes I think, do they just need more empathy or also is it like, well, maybe they are being bullied in some area of their life and right. so they're trying to put it out on someone else. But it's so hard in the moment to say, I mean, we can't see that. We can't see what's going on with them. All you see right. is the hurt that they're passing on. And so I think that's why, I mean, you guys know you're in education and things. I think that's why it's so important that the awareness is raised around those issues. And I don't know, well, like it's a big, it's a big issue. Yeah, well, me and Mason, we talk a lot, like, around the time of the accident, people would come up to him and say things like, hey, you know, you're going to see him again, or hey, you know, sorry you went through this, but look on the bright side, or hey, you know what, you're going to learn from this. 
things like that. And we talk, it's like, they're not meaning to like, just very insensitive things to say at that time. Right. But like, Mason's done really well and not like he realizes like they don't know what to say. They're just trying to help. They're not intentionally coming up and being insensitive or sometimes they'd even just say like way out there, strange comments that you think like, why would you say that ever, let alone right now? Well, I think uh, they mean well, though, right, Sam? Like they, they. Right. So you can't get mad at them. And like, what do you say? I don't know what to say. I would yeah. say people reach out to me like, "Hey, I lost my wife, I lost my kid." I don't really know what to say to them either, other than, "I'm sorry." I and and when we were recording our last podcast, what, what was that Monday, Sam? We did the questions uh-huh. episode, and yeah. um, someone asked a similar question to this, didn't they? We were talking about this, I think. Do you remember? Uh, someone asked us like a question i thought what was the uh they asked what was the most helpful thing someone said yeah, yeah, or yeah. did what was the most help yeah what was the most helpful thing someone said and the more i thought about that question it was nothing it was the people that just showed up and sat there ready to listen or not talk and then gave me a hug and left that was the best thing yeah mm, i think just yeah no one knows. No one knows what's going on. So don't act like you can solve everyone's problems. Just be there for them and love them. And that's what Sam did. So that's what a lot of people did. Yeah, I think one of the hardest things is when people say everything happens for a reason, and you want to be like, uh, "Yeah, no, I don't. I can't quite get on board with that." But yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for trying. But at the same time, they're really trying to help you make sense of it. But also, yeah. they're probably trying to process it too, because they're they they know that this is hard and traumatic. And they can't really quite put themselves in your shoes, but maybe they do have a spouse and kids so they can kind of imagine and they're just trying to make sense of it too. Yeah. And they're trying to comfort you in some way. So yeah, it's never usually yeah. in a, you know, there's no, there's no reason to get offended by it. They just, they mean, well, they, they come from love. They don't no one knows. It's just a really crappy thing, man. Just give me a hug and, and let's not make it so weird. Yeah, that yeah not make it <laughs> Don't try to fix this because yeah, it's not fixable. Yeah. Just yeah. be there. Yes. Uh, it's it's similar. I mean, people would tell him things like that that like just weren't relevant or weren't ever going to bring peace. But like you said, you know, it's not on purpose. There's a timing aspect too. Like even the 1090 quote, like life's 10% what happens to you, 90% what you're going to do about it. That's my favorite quote. That's my life motto. But if someone lost a kid today, I would not tell them that. It's just it's yeah. not the right. right time yet. They they need to be mad, they need to cry, and they just need to feel it. That's what they need to be doing. Yeah. They the figuring out and how to help people with it and the journey ahead, that's for later. But you gotta cry yeah. right now and be mad because mm-hmm. you yeah, have every right you earn that right. That's yeah. a really well, good point. Yeah. And something I've I've thought about, um, me and Mason, we kind of view, we have the same experience, but like a lot of people would try to tell me growing up, and one of the things that drove me crazy was people would like try to put expectations on me, like even from like a young age, like, hey, he's going to need oxygen his whole life, all the way up to like, hey, are you sure you're going to be able to do that? Hey, are you sure you want to do that? And it's like, look, don't like quit telling me what to do. Like I, like I'm aware, I know me better than any of you know me. I know what I can do. I know what I'm capable of. Like I'm going to do it. And I like, I work harder to prove them wrong for like myself, not even like for them, but just like, look, I can do it. Like quit trying to interject. And then on the other side, you have Mason where people, you know, 
sometimes try to express their opinions of how he should be processing grief and how, well, you know, you really should, should do this and you really should try that. It's like, I appreciate what you're saying, but until you've experienced what I've experienced and gone through, like your advice really is not worth listening to because it's a lot of times condescending. Well, I like yeah, uh, for sure. I like the old I like the old quote that says, "If you don't take um, advice from someone, then why take criticism from them?" And that that quote's really yeah. cool. oh right, that, that's that a good one. Yeah, do you like that one? Yeah, if you wouldn't take their advice, then why would you take their criticism? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just recently saw that somewhere. I know, and I feel that like as really humans, good. it's so easy for us to like take all the. Right. criticism so internal you always only focus yeah. on the bad it seems like like you never yeah. give the good the recognition it deserves yeah yeah that's yeah. true yeah well, awesome but well, maybe this is a good time to talk about like um the podcast and the idea for it and i know you mentioned the at the beginning about the anniversary of you know your family's yeah. passing and decided to want to do something about that so. yeah and also i'd be curious like when did you guys intersect up after um Mason's tragedy happened, you know, were you still in your, each other's lives at that point, keeping touch or did you kind of reconnect? No. So the night of the accident. So I get the phone call from the doctor and he says, it's, it's a kid with blonde hair, blue eyes, and they're life lighting him to the university of Utah hospital. So I have to drive four hours. My, my buddy Jake gave me a ride, but I have to drive four hours to get to the hospital to to get to blue or maybe blue. I didn't know if it was blue or just one person in general from that. I didn't, I didn't really know what was going on. Um, but I got to the hospital and it was my parents, my sister, Carly and Sam was there. Sam was there along with my other buddy, Andre, my other buddy, David, and then Courtney's sister, Jordan. But no, that's how close me and Sam have been. We've, we've been really good buddies um, since high school. And so he was with me the night of, and he didn't even ask, or maybe you did, Sam. I don't, I got, my phone was going off the, I think I just turned my phone off, but Sam was there. Um, and I, I started going to therapy and my therapist is like, Mason, you can, you can go down the road of self pity and feel bad for me. And maybe even, like suicide. Like, I don't think anyone would blame you if you wanted to do that, Mason. But if you want, you have a tremendous opportunity that not a lot of people get to help other people. And so then I'm like, okay, I'm going to help people then. Because honestly, that's what Courtney would do. I think Courtney, my wife, was a wonderful nurse. She was always about other people. She spent the majority of her day, 24-7, thinking about me and the kids. She was just, that's just who she was. And so I'm trying to figure out a way to help people. And so I'm talking to my therapist. I'm like, well, maybe I'll go back to school. I'll get my master's degree in psychology because I already have my bachelor's degree. I'm like, I'll get my master's degree and then I'll be like a therapist like you and I'll help people. And then I'm like, well, I have to do like two more years of school. Mentally, emotionally, I cannot do school right now. I just couldn't. And so I'm like, well, how can I help people then? Because I need to help now. Like, I got to do it now or else I'm just going to, I'm not going to make it. Like, I got to do something with this pain. And so then I'm like, well, what if we start a podcast and then I'll just tell people about my story and see if I can help people. So we did that on the on the one year anniversary, like I talked about earlier. And a lot of people just, it just kind of, um, I don't know if explodes the right word because it, it wasn't like a million people, but like all of a sudden... 
a bunch of people. They heard me speak. They listened to the podcast, and it was apparent really soon that we have something here. We don't really know what. We don't know where we're going with it, and that's still where we're at. We just record out of my basement, and we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants. You guys, at, at with your podcast, Beautiful Shifts, you guys know what you're doing. You guys are organized. You sent us this spreadsheet of all these questions. We are just in out. my house. Yeah, yeah we're, we're not in like, Chantel's office. <laughs> you guys got to figure out. Me and Sam, we literally invite people on our show, and we're like, we'll probably talk about this and then this. And then we go, we go for it. Like, we're, yeah, we're just kind of going, and we're learning as we go. For sure. Well, well, you guys are really fun. Same, yeah. And I think you can do that. For me and Chantel, we're like, hey, we need an outline. We need this. We like we yeah. need to be our prepared. first yeah, our first oh. couple <laughs> episodes, we were way too organized because it yeah. didn't flow as a conversation. Yeah. Do it on your podcast. <laughs> oh, that, but that's just if you want to get better at podcasting, then you do podcasts. So you go exactly. on yeah. well, well, you go guys on are all just these talented. Yeah. yeah. I think you just relate to people well. Yeah. And you just learn from yeah, this podcast and you just you figure it out. I don't know. It's yeah. fun. Yeah, it's fun. And I think process. Yeah, it's a yeah, we've really loved it and we wanted to you know, create a platform to people tell their stories to help others. I mean, and honestly, sometimes we're like, "Oh, we didn't get as many listens as we'd hoped or this one, this or that." But I'm like, even if it was one person that listened to it and got something out of it to help them in their life, that's like the point of it. Yeah. So, it, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and I do feel like it is. It's helping us so much, too, just like you were saying. I mean, Every, you know, I'm just grateful for these perspectives that I get. And I feel like I'm learning so much from all these people that we get to talk to. So yeah, we named it beautiful shifts, but we were talking about the person's beautiful shift, but we're finding our own shifts in our own lives where we have a different perspective on things or we've learned from other people and we have our own shift in our ideas and our thoughts, you know, so it's cool. Yeah. 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 But anyway, back to you guys. Yeah. The important thing here. (laughs) So what, yeah. So you guys decided to just go for it basically. Yeah, so and this was July, July of twenty twenty two, right? Yep. Yeah, so okay. Yeah, that's wow. that's kind of how I look at my year. So when when July twenty fifth two thousand, what I don't even know what year it is two thousand twenty four hits. That would be like yeah. or two thousand twenty three. That would be like the first season of ten ninety. That's how I see it anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. I think it's so cool that you started it on the like on that day. I think that's really neat. It's almost like a tribute, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking of like, what can I do? I want to do something on that day. And my original plan, because again, I mean, back to the Buffalo and the cow analogy, like for Christmas, we went to Vegas. I made my whole family go to Vegas on Christmas. It was Christmas Eve. We were eating like terrible, sloppy, soggy white castle cheeseburgers on Christmas Eve. It was terrible. (laughs) But I just, <laughs> I wanted to get away from anything that looked like Christmas at all. I did, no snow, no, like, let's go to Vegas. That's like the most non-Christmas place in America I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> and so like the, the, the one year mark of the anniversary is coming up. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not running from it anymore. I'm going to start talking about it and see what happens. And so I wanted to do something. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll just talk. And if people want to listen, great. And so I kind of put it out on my Instagram and I think, Sam, how many people showed up? I think like 250 people showed up at Dixie State, and it just um, awesome. it just kind of turned into yeah. what it is now type of thing. But it it has replaced my therapy session. I don't i I haven't had a therapy session with my therapist in a long time, and podcasting and talking about it with strangers 
it's my form of therapy. I, that's how I've been expressing it, and it's it's been really helpful. That's awesome. Well, and it sounds like you you're actively seeking tools too, like just these different concepts, like the buffalo and the ten ninety rule. And you're if you the can bring yourself, that, yeah. yeah, the stoicism. If you can bring yourself back to that, then that is therapy too that you could do you know, self-taught basically. So that's really neat. I think it's really cool that you guys have been such good friends for so long and that Sam was there that day for you. And then he's here for you for the podcast. And that's just a really cool friendship. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, we've had some good, I mean, we were high schoolers hauling the mattress out on the tramp, <laughs> having sleepovers back oh, in yeah. the day. I mean, yeah. We, yeah. we have a, uh... you remember, you remember having a sleepover on the tramp and, uh, there was that really tall branch, like above the tramp, and you're like, "Yeah, did you dare me to do it?" Or I don't know, but for some reason, I tried to do a spinning hill kick on this branch. You remember this, Sam? Yes, yeah, so that branch was a good twelve feet in the air. <laughs> so I jump up and I kick it. Right? I, do I kick the branch, or was I? Did I kick the branch? I don't even remember. No, you missed the branch, and then <laughs> and so anyway, I tried to do the spinning hill kick. I apparently, according to Sam, I don't hit it. And then on my way down, my foot goes through the springs and I, it ca- I'm dangling on the tramp. My head's like barely off the ground. I'm like, do you remember that, Sam? I do. Yes. <laughs> that was, and the great friend that I am, I immediately just, instead of saying like, Oh, are you okay? I just immediately start laughing, start laughing yeah. dangling there. <laughs> that was good. No, we've been friends uh, for a while. Yeah. And it's been, I mean, there's been plenty of times. I mean, I, when I'm frustrated or having a rough go, like Mason's a good one that I, I regularly have turned to him for thoughts and advice and ideas and just expressing frustrations with life. And it's been, it's been a good, a good friendship for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so the 1090, is that a stoicism thing or word? Is that from a quote or what the no, quote? So, um, there is Seneca has a quote that's really close that says, it's not what happens to you. It's um, how you handle it type of thing. So it's very close to stoicism, but there's lots of different versions of it. So if you Google that quote, there's going to be a couple names that pop up. Um, a famous football coach, uh, Lou Holtz. Um, he has a version of it that says life's 10% what happens to you, 90% what you're going to do about it. So a lot of people have said it. It's not like a crazy thought. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. But it's meant a lot. It's meant everything to me. And when my dad sent my dad sent me that quote, and he's like, "I think this is the mindset you have to have." And when Sam and I were thinking of what are we going to name our podcast, I'm like, "I don't." I, and Sam, I don't even remember the other names we were tossing around now. But I texted Sam. I'm like, "Hey, what about like this quote?" And we'll just call it the 1090 podcast. And Sam's like, "Yeah, that sounds cool." So that's kind of what we went with. That's how that's how we got the name. That's really cool. Yeah. That's it's a really great cool. concept and a good way to sum up just when we go through things and challenges, mm-hmm. make it like really simple. Like you said, it's just really simple. I'm reading, um, Oh man, search for meaning. Oh, right. <laughs> oh And it's yeah, very much book. like that. Yeah. And it's very much that thought process is a lot of how you're, how you're reacting to these things is how you get through even being in a concentration camp and not knowing if you're going to live or not. It was your attitude and your thought process that got him through. Every yeah, day. what's uh, he has that really good quote, and I always butcher it, but it, it's something along the lines of Af- after everything's been taken from you, the one thing you always have control over is um, your attitude or how you handle things, basically. And 
And again, one thing I've, it goes back to the Robert Frost thing. One thing I've learned is it, it's not what's said. Something, sometimes the most important thing is who said it. And so for a guy like him to have that quote is everything. And if he can go through that, then right. it, it's hope that we can get through anything. So yeah, uh, Victor Frankl, right? Is that right? If I'm getting the author? Yeah, Victor. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. L- love yep. that book. Yeah, it's very good. Um, on your Instagram, I saw that you guys posted um, the definition of stoicism and kind of your definition of it. And I just thought it was really cool. It says stoicism in the dictionary, the endurance of pain or hardship without the display of feelings or without complaint. But then you say stoicism is not about having zero emotions. Emotions are brutally important. Stoics don't allow their emotions to control them. Once you have mastered that, it's easy not to let other people and what they say impact you either, but you have to master yourself first. And I loved how you guys put that. First, when I started looking into stoicism, I was like, wow, this is very much like emotions aside, you know, but like, I like how you said, it's not about having zero emotions. It's just controlling them and not letting them control you. Like you get to decide how you're going to go on from this or react to these certain things that happen. And I think the emotion, I mean, this is 2000 years ago when Marcus Aurelius and the stoicism things taken off. So like you have to think about the times they were living in. And I think when they I think a big part of what they meant was don't show emotion was don't show your enemy emotion. Like and that goes for sports. That's something I always try to tell my players. Like if you turn the ball over, you miss a shot, don't show them that you're upset. Don't show them that you're frustrated. You want to be stoic. But when you're not with the enemy, when you're with the people you love, when you're in your safe zone, let those tears fly, man. Let those emotions fly. Those emotions are brutally important. You have to let anger have its day in the sun or it's going to eat you away inside. You have to express those emotions. You have to. So stoicism isn't like we're never going to do the emotion thing. It's, hey, we have to do the emotion thing, but we have to do it in a healthy, productive way. We can't be crybabies. We can't play the trauma card when life gets hard. Like, hey, I'm so strong. I'm dealing with my trauma. Hey, deadlines do. Oh, I have trauma. My mom died five years ago. I can't do it now. What are you talking about? What are you doing? No, you can't You can't have your cake and eat it too. So that's that's how I view stoicism and the emotional thing. Is it, Emotions are part of life. They are critical and we have to express them. Just not to the enemy, not at the bad place, not at the wrong wrong time type of thing or at least maybe i'm completely wrong i have no idea but that's how i understand stoicism no i know like, i like yeah, that it's really good i think you know i've learned more about that too like you have to express those emotions or else they're going to come out in other ways so kind of like the unhealthy coping or maybe anger in the moments that you don't want it to show up you know if you're just going to suppress and pretend like you're not sad or that this wasn't hard or whatever so yeah, like find a safe friend or family member or just with yourself, like to, you know, for other people listening, you know, if you're trying to process emotions, but I think that's really important to, um, to differentiate that stoicism isn't not feeling the emotions. It's just kind of being wise about how you're doing it. So, so, um, this is a great example of the, of the emotion thing. So I'm at a red light. This happened this morning. I'm at this red light, and I want to complain about it so bad. Like, this light's so long or whatever. But I don't because I know Blue's in the back seat. So I, I don't want Blue to hear me complain. 
So that's stoicism to me. Like, I'm not, I don't want to hear him complain because if he hears me complain on the way to school, he's going to get to school and complain. So I, I try not to complain. But then, like, and this is what my therapist helped me understand. But sometimes I pick and choose moments with Blue where I talk about his mom and his, his, his sister and his brother and I cry and I hug him and we cry. Talk about not holding back emotions. I'm literally holding my five-year-old son crying. But I have to pick and choose those moments because I have to let Blue know it's okay to cry. I have to let Blue know I love them still. I'm still hurting. I have to let him know that. But then we wipe the tears away. We say goodnight, and it's a new day tomorrow. So again, you have to pick and choose your moments. I'm not going to complain about the red light, but absolutely, 100%, I'm going to express my sadness and pain to my son so he can do the same thing. That, to me, is how I use stoicism day-to-day in my life. My husband and I have talked about this with our kids, like to not hide some of the hard things we're going through or hide our emotions from our kids because not they one, they need to know that it's okay to have emotions and to be sad but also to watch us pick ourselves up and, like you said, move on. We have our moment. We cry. It's okay to do that, but we also have to pick ourselves up and move on to the next thing yeah. and not stay in the sadness forever. Exactly. And it's like a good example. Um, and I love your – by the way, I think Blue, that's such a cute name. Oh, it's really cute. <laughs> oh, thank you. And I love that example that you use too, just of the stoplight. And in my mind, I was also thinking, well, if you didn't have the moments of being sad, then the stoplight moment would probably be harder to be stoic yeah, probably, during because oh, the damn light will turn green. I'm so frustrated. Yeah, That's so what Sam it's like does. such Sam a healthy. Sam has the worst road rage ever. Sam is like, oh, Sam, I'm five ten. You're five one. Don't get us into a fight right now. If we pull over. We're going down, dude. <laughs> it's true. Oh, it's, so it's true. <laughs> That's so funny. But yeah, that's a good example. So yeah. Blue is five. Is he in kindergarten? Yeah, I just, I was late. I was late to our podcast because we had parents could go and have lunch with their kids at school today. So we did lunch mm. and then we were playing recess. So I was late getting back. But yeah, he's, uh, Blue is a happy kid. He's, he's loving life and he's in, yeah, he's in kindergarten making friends. He goes to kindergarten with uh, his cousin Lila. So that's been helpful for him. And yeah, he's doing good in school. And that kid is, uh, he's, he's my hero. Yeah, that's really, yeah, that's awesome. It's cool. Okay. Well, yeah. did you have another quote? Oh, that- I, well, it's funny. I just loved all your quotes. So maybe this is over quoting, but I actually don't know. Maybe you could tell me who said this, but you also put on your Instagram, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances that's the one i butchered earlier huh um i don't know maybe i know it's funny there's like a person's picture behind it but i can't tell who it is it almost looks like ruth oh whatever ruth Bader Ginsburg. it's hard to tell yeah i love that quote yeah that quote that's really good yeah Yeah, for sure that's a good sum up too of just the whole concept yeah of of stoicism stoicism and yeah no definitely yeah all right. Well, um, do you guys have any new life perspectives? I mean, I feel like we've talked about a lot, but anything else that you'd like to add after going through these transitions and your perspectives in life? Um, the one, the I mean, I, I just want to echo again, like the, our our message of, you know, life's 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. And I really think that there's just so much stuff that's out of our control in life. And it, you know, Mason mentioned earlier, sometimes it takes really crappy things happening to get you to understand that. Sometimes it takes something like 
my dwarfism to teach me that every day throughout life. Um, but just the more you can focus on what actually matters and what what you can control, the more, I don't want to say the happier you're going to be, but the more, like, you're not going to be bogged down with the little stuff anymore. It's going to be the stuff that actually matters that you care about and gets your attention because if you're giving all your time and attention to stuff you can't change, can't control, and in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter, those little, like the red lights that I've spent probably hours of my life just complaining at um at the end of the day that doesn't matter and it's a waste of of my time it's a waste of energy and so i think really trying to embrace that 1090 principle um is is huge and some i mean we we haven't mastered it we're working on every day still but it's it i mean we we definitely still have bad days and bad weeks and frustrations and i mean every normal thing that anyone does we we definitely still experience that but um, it's been nice to actually have that 1090 reminder that's like, look, I can't control what just happened, so focus on the part that I can control. Yeah, right. that's great. Yeah, yeah, I think the last thing that came to my mind would be, um, you know, the, the buffalo analogy. I love, I love the stoicism quote and book called Obstacle is the Way, um, which is essentially the buffalo analogy. And the Robert Frost quote that we mentioned earlier, which is, there's no way out but through. Um, but sometimes obstacles are so big and, and you can't really get over them ever. And so the only way th- only way you're going to handle it is going through it. And what I've learned is sometimes the way you go through a storm or the way you get through the obstacle is the opposite. And what I mean by that is, the accident that took so much from me has left me with so much pain and anger. My only way out is to do the opposite of that. My only way out is to love and charity. Um, and that, and I tell blue, I tell, or I ask blue three questions every night when I tuck him in and it sums up the 1090. And I, I ask him, I say, blue, what do you do when you get knocked down? And he says, you get back up. I said, that's right. And I said, Blue, is life fair? And he goes, no, life's not fair. And I said, that's right. And then I say, Blue, pick a number one through ten. And he usually picks ten. And whatever number he picks, that's how many kisses I give him before he comes <laughs> in. And what I'm, what I'm trying to teach him is, that's 1090, that's life. It's not fair when you get knocked down, you get back up. The only way to get through it is love. You got to love someone else other than yourself. You got to put someone else before you or else you're never going to be as happy as you can be. And I think life's going to be pretty miserable for you. I think if you wake up and you're the first thing, you're the first thing you think about, I don't think you're living life to the fullest. And that either means one of two things. You're a little kid like you're a teenager and you haven't gotten there yet. Or you're an adult and you got to get your ass together and figure it out. Yeah, that's true. That I love that. That's so cute. Yeah, that's, that's awesome that you do that. Way I to, love it. Yeah, a good you're teaching lesson. him that at such a young age. Yeah. That's so wise. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, this has been amazing. Yeah, really. And, yeah, I feel so grateful. You guys took the time for us and. No, thank you so much. This was this was awesome. Thank you. You guys have. Yeah, I've been I've probably listening to three or four episodes. I love what you guys are doing and. And you're right. For don't sure. don't get caught up in the viewers. We don't like whatever. One viewer, a hundred, a thousand, whatever. We're balls of the wall. We don't care. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, yeah. I think, how we are. And I, it's always just nice if just even one person reaches out and is like, oh, that was, yeah, I really related to that. Or I shared that with right. my sister that's been through the same thing or, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing is, yeah, is, and helpful. I, and I even think even if no one listens, it, we love doing it. I know. Right. I'm like, right. I mean, today, this has been so amazing to talk to you guys. So. Yeah. yeah. No, we really appreciate it. Thank you both so much. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. Um, one last thing. We, like we always to, ask. Yeah, yeah, we always ask at the end of each episode is how do you find beauty in life after going through the things that you've gone through? I think just being able to to find the simple things in life that you enjoy. Like I like hanging out with Mason. I like going to movies. I like spending time with my wife and kids. Um, I like just I like sports. Um, just doing the like find the things you enjoy and make time for them. You can, it's so easy to get caught up in, oh, got to work, then go home, then do the dishes, then go to bed and start it all over the next day. And sometimes that is the reality that that just was what the day looked like. But when I find myself, when I actually take the time to do these things, it's, it's much more enjoyable. Even if I'm going there and I'm like, oh, I don't really want to go tonight. This is a bummer. I want to just go to bed. And then I end up driving home later thinking like, I'm so glad I went. That was a lot of fun. And so I think just finding the simple things in life and making time for them is, is definitely something that that has helped me. Yeah, super yeah, important. That's great. Yeah. I, uh, I I don't want to end on too much of like a a dark note here, but one thing that's helped me is I've accepted death. I've accepted that, and it, this might sound so weird to you guys, because I love my wife and kids more than anything more than me like so losing them is just still trying to accept it most of the time but i've accepted death and i think about it all the time like where they're at what's the point of anything like what what are we doing here and what happened to my wife and kids and brother and nephew is just terrible they're so young and innocent good people it's just terrible. The only thing worse, though, is if they could never die. If you, th- I mean, I know that might, that might sound weird, but if you if you think it through long enough, every day of your life, like I have been, if you live forever, that's terrible. That's torture. Who wants to do that? Death is necessary. Death makes everything beautiful. Death gives everything meaning. And yeah, it sucks sometimes because death, no one can control it. It's going to come and take whoever, whenever. And it's scary, but it makes life, life. If we didn't have it, then what's the point of anything? So yeah, I wish I never lost them. I wish they were still here. But that's that's the game of life. Death's always going to win. And all we have control over is how we're going to play the game for however long we can. But I'm grateful for death. I, I am. As terrible as it is, and as much as it's broken me, it's necessary. And if we don't have it, nothing's worth anything. Yeah, <clears throat> that reminds me of the reel that you talked about. You taking your son to see Puss in Boots, and yeah. how he has, <laughs> yeah. you know, ni- you know, he has, he thinks he has nine lives. He thinks he still, he still has a lot of lives. He realizes he only has one left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think that's so true. If we aren't going to die or if we don't know we're going to die, like we need to live like this is our only life because of it. Right. This is all we're promised at this point is just yeah. this life. And so to live it with meaning and, and the acceptance that we all die at some point 
and yeah, it's a, yeah. I, I loved how you put that. And then I actually rented the movie because I was like, oh, I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to watch it with <laughs> my kids. good things about that. I want to, I want to take my kids to it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I love how, you know, ultimately you're bringing that back to gratitude. And that is just such a reoccurring theme that we find. And all the research even says, like, you have to find gratitude. I mean, even gratitude and death, like you're saying, like it's kind of un- uncomprehendable sometimes, but if you really stop to think about it, what you said made so much sense. So, well, thank you. I'm yeah. yeah I think both things, what mm-hmm. um, Sam said with the simple things that comes yes. up a lot when people want to find beauty is just simple things. And then, yeah, also gratitude is such a in huge whatever theme. you've been through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then even like you're saying in life, and then that also gives us gratitude for death because you can't have one without the other. So, right. Yeah, very. That's how I see it anyway. Grateful for that perspective. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you all very much. We appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate your time. Yeah, this has been so good. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk to y'all soon. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and would love if you subscribe to the podcast and followed along as we continue hearing more inspiring stories. You can also follow us on Instagram at Beautiful Shifts Podcast, where we will post updates with our latest interviews. We'd like to thank the band We the Lion for giving us permission to use their beautiful song Move Along for our podcast. Take a minute to listen to the song and the lyrics and enjoy. I find a way to know myself All my thoughts are mine again and begin to understand where to go Now it's time to move along Now it's time to move along Take this journey as my own Feel the strength right in my bones All I want is to believe Life is my own Life Journey